Good morning. Let's look at a few announcements. <clears throat> oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you. How often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Luke 13. Verse 34. We have choir tonight at 5 o'clock? Uh, probably. That's a tentative yes. Okay, tonight we have a special DVD on the American gospel. I don't know uh, what all that entails, but the uh, pastor may be able to enlighten you a little bit, uh, bring finger foods as usual. Uh, prayer meeting again Wednesday night at 7 o'clock and you see the note on being faithful in our stewardship uh, uh, last year we ended with a little bit of a deficit in our finances uh, look on the board it looks like it's a little bit up so uh, people are listening there will be a church white elephant gift service party on Friday the 18th. That would be this this Friday coming. I'm still a little tentative about that whole thing myself, but uh, I will endeavor to be there nonetheless. Uh, Andrea is our texting contact uh, for the prayer chain. Uh, offering envelopes, if you haven't picked yours up yet, are still on the foyer table. Uh, Acts and facts for January are here. Uh, Clayton's are, are not here tonight. Or today again, uh, Laura is down with her mother, taking care of her, and uh, I, I believe that that merits a tremendous amount of prayer as to how they're going to uh, take care of mom, uh, knowing that Laura's a you know the left hand to Doug in that in their business. Now she has to kind of separate herself and and give the care. So I would ask that uh, we uh, really uh, take this. Take this to the prayer closet with us and uh, hold them up in prayer that uh, the right decisions and uh, God's grace would, would be in, in their lives in all of this. Tremendously expensive for caregivers. Uh, and I've heard that the, uh, the cost of putting someone in a nursing home is between five and $7,000 on average. Uh, and then it goes up from there, so... Unless you're an elite, and I don't see a whole lot of us in this congregation that are considered elites, but uh, it's, it's a tough way to go. So if I missed anything in the announcements, anything that uh, somebody has that we're not aware of? Okay, our scripture for meditation is in the book of Psalm 118. 19 through 29, that would be page 956 in your pew Bible.
Would you stand with us as we begin our opening? Brother Dan Armstrong, would you lead us, please, in the opening prayer? remain standing. Good morning. We take your brown hymnal and turn to number 478. 478 in the brown.
favorite hands this morning. Um, Jolene. Yes, ma'am. Do you have a favorite hand this morning? Um, 172 in the brown. 172. One seven, oh, just 72? 172. 172. All right, that's what I thought I said, but I could have said it. I could have said it wrong. 172. 172. Can you? Do you have a reason for this one this morning? Uh, I was reading something in a book this week that just reminded me of it. It's how sometimes we need to go back to the basics in our spiritual life and be reminded of the gospel and the good news of the gospel, and that really struck home with me. So it made me think of this song. Awesome. Great. Thank you.
Our scripture reading for this morning is taken from the book of Luke, chapter 13, verses 31 to 35, page 1621 in your pew Bible. Would you stand with us as we do the reading? Once again, it's Luke 13, verse 31 through 35. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, Leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. He replied, Go tell that fox, I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day. For surely no prophet can die outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as, as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, I'm sorry. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Ask that the Lord would bless his word to you. Take your brown hymnals again and turn to number 531, 531 in the brown.
Our scripture text is Luke 13. We've been doing a short series on the geography of Christ, the places where he ministered, and um, how that affected the gospel. We looked at three geographical sites in the life of Jesus. Each of them have their own characteristic and events. Bethlehem, the birthplace, we saw how God used the decree of Caesar Augustus to get Jesus' parents to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem, where the prophet foretold that Jesus would be born. Now Herod hated all of those prophecies, and he determined to kill Christ. But then that was the second geographical place. Egypt became the hiding place. Because warned in a dream of Herod's intent, Joseph speedily slipped out of Bethlehem in the night with his family and he fled to Egypt. And that again fulfilled prophecy. The Old Testament says, out of Egypt I called my son. And then Nazareth, the living space. Jesus was known as a Nazarene. And in fact, did most of his ministry in the region of Galilee. He was in Egypt and God came to Joseph's in a dream and said, you know, Herod, the guy that was trying to kill your son, is dead. And so that prompted Joseph to go to Galilee. And that's where Jesus had most of his ministry. But even there... Uh, in his home country, we could say, he was ill-treated by his countrymen. He was mocked as their redeemer, and he was rejected. Today's lesson is in Jerusalem. And I'm calling it the victory place, and it's victorious on two main accounts. Number one, victory over sin, Satan, and the world through his death, burial, and resurrection. And number two, his victory to come when the world will be brought into subjection and the rule of Christ when he comes to Mount Zion in Jerusalem to rule and to reign. God is not defeated in the evils of men. Evil men are defeated (laughs) and God overpowers and that's what we're seeing in this study. So as we come to our uh, sermon today, let us ask for the Lord's enablement. Lord, we're thankful that uh, it is true. Men, men scheme and they, they do their things. They plot against you and they, they think that they're going to win. And there are times when you allow your church to come under persecution. But always in the end you are victorious. And it is the promise of the future that you will, will be victorious. And we Riding on your shoulders, we'll be victorious with you. The scripture says we'll reign and rule with Christ. And I just pray that that would be a comfort to our hearts. We pray you'll bless the study of your word today and encourage us. 
And for those that don't know you, may this be the day that you find them and bring them in faith and repentance to the foot of the cross. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Kind of been looking at the geographical locations of Jesus' life. And we're up to Jerusalem, and I'm calling it Jerusalem, the victory place. Whatever else our text says about Jerusalem, we observe firstly from Jesus' words that Jerusalem had a very colorful past. And not always colorful in the good sense. Look at verse 14. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those that are sent to you. Now that's not a very good history, is it? But Jesus is telling it true. When one thinks of Israel as being the chosen people of God, and when one thinks of the prophets as God's messengers to his people, it's even more disturbing to note that those upon whom God had sent his particular affection had delivered from Egyptian bondage, brought into the promised land of Palestine because of his great love. Yet in the end they would spurn that love, hate his watch care, kill his messengers, so they would not have to listen to the message God wished to convey to them. Boy, talking about biting the hand that feeds you. Israel did that. Now we have an expression that we use when we are bearing a message from one person to the other and the recipient becomes a little irritated or snippy with us because they don't like what they're hearing from us. We say, hey, 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 don't kill the messenger. Don't kill the messenger. We mean to indicate by such that if they don't like the message, don't take it out on us because we're just conveying what someone else told us to say. Your beef is not not with me. Take the matter up with the one who sent me with the message. Don't kill the messenger. But you know, Jerusalem did this with God's prophets. They did. They didn't like what God had to say, so they killed the messengers. Jesus himself tells of one such incident in Matthew 23, verse 33 and following, where in addressing the religious leaders of Jerusalem, he says, I'm sending you prophets and wise men and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. Remember, Saul of Tarsus did that very thing. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berkiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar, which would mean in the courtyard 
right? Between the temple and the altar. Wow. The historical account of this is found in 2 Chronicles 24. Joash is the boy king, and he's credited with refurbishing the temple of the Lord, which was in great disrepair. But if you read the account carefully, you will observe that it was Jehoiada, the Lord's priest, who was the driving force behind the renovation. Proof of this is verse 14, 2 Chronicles 24, verse 14. As long as Jehoiada lived, burnt offerings were presented continually in the temple of the Lord. As long as he lived. Verse 17. After the death of Jehoiada, the officials of Judah came and they convinced the king. It says that he listened to them. They abandoned the temple of the Lord, the God of their fathers, and worshipped the Asherah poles and the idols. And because of their guilt, God's anger came upon them, upon Judah and Jerusalem. And although the Lord sent prophets to the people to bring them back to him, and though they testified against them, they, the people, would not listen. They would not listen. Jehoiada's son, Zechariah, was one of one such messenger sent from God. But we read they plotted against him. And by order of the king they stoned him to death. In the courtyard of the Lord's temple. Wow. Jerusalem which in our text stands for Judah. And the whole nation had a bloody history of resisting. The messengers of God. We can well understand why Jezebel, patron of the prophets of Baal, would attempt to kill Elijah, the prophet of God. And before that actually did kill sons of the prophets, 1 Kings 18 verse 4. Necessitating Obadiah to hide a hundred of the prophets in caves where Jezebel couldn't find them. But how amazing it is to us that Israel, the people of God, would have such a vengeance against God's messengers. Yet, they did. They did. It does amaze us, but should it amaze us? It is almost a universal truism that people, whether professing saints or avowed atheists, do not like to hear the word of God. Thus saith the Lord is not only resisted in our lives, but at times hated in our lives. Why? Well, because the word from God always calls us to repentance and faith. It says to us, you must stop sinning and start living like a person who believes in a holy, righteous God. You can't go on the way you are. You've got to change. That's what the gospel says. And our sin is such a darling to us that we would rather hold it to our bosom than a holy and sinless Savior. Well, guess what? You can't love both. 
You cannot serve both. No, choices have to be made. And the choice we make is often, sadly, kill the messenger. Either literally or figuratively, we rid ourselves in our heart and in our mind of the one who dares to tell us the truth about our sin. We can't get our hands on God. We certainly can't kill God. So we seek to silence the witnesses. Tonight we're going to look at a video, or part of, at least part of the video. And it has to do with, uh, the, the Stiffs are sharing that with us. It's called The Gospel in America. Well, we put gospel in quotes, uh, which means it's being propagated as gospel in America. But you will be shocked is what's being said in the name of the Lord. Well, why are people then doing that? It's because the false teachers are teaching what people want to hear. That's why they're doing that, and it's why they're getting away with it. And the sheep are just going blindly to their destruction, not knowing. The leaders of Jerusalem did this with Stephen. You remember that account? It says, at the prompting of, of Saul, when they heard this, that is, that they had betrayed and murdered the righteous one, Stephen is preaching on, in Acts. And he says, you, you know, you guys murdered the righteous one. You, you murdered your Messiah. <coughs> and when they heard that, they were furious. And they gnashed their teeth at him. And they covered their ears at him. And yelling at the top of their voice, they all rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city, this is Jerusalem, and they began to stone him. The witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Acts 7 verse 54 and following. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, says Jesus, you who kill the prophets and stone those that are sent to you. This was Jerusalem, and this is so-called Christian America. I think we must know ourselves if we are to have an honest dealing with Christ. Observe, secondly, that Jesus places himself in the category of these rejected and murdered prophets. Verse 34, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. I'm in the category of those prophets that came. I'm one of those that came and preached the gospel truth to you. 
emancipation for your sin. But you didn't want to hear. Is this not a statement of Jesus' desire to be Jerusalem's comforter and protector and, yes, savior? The imagery of a hen gathering her chicks under her wings is one of watch care that a chicken affords its brew in times of inclement weather or in times of endangerment by a foe. And Jesus says his desire was to gather Jerusalem's children together to bring them back under the protection of Jehovah their God. Wasn't that the work of Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada? Wasn't that what he tried to do when they stoned him to death in the temple courtyard? But, says Jesus, you were not We read 2 Chronicles 24.19. It says, Although the Lord sent prophets to the people to bring them back to him, they would not listen. Jesus is headed for Jerusalem too. Not only, not for any fear of Herod's murderous threat, verse 31, but because... He had a work to do at Jerusalem. Verse 32, a work of deliverance for those held sway to Satan's power, evident in their diseases and demon possession. He must keep going today, tomorrow, verse 33, heading for Jerusalem because, as he puts it, no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. Verse 33. He's saying that he's on a mission, a mission which necessitates his going to Jerusalem, the place which kills the prophets. Wow. He is a prophet. Yes, more. But not as the people see it. He will go there in an attempt to call the people back to God, to bring them into the fold under his wings of the Almighty once again, from where they should have never left, But he knows they will not listen to him. He knows he will be rejected there and mocked. He knows that the leaders, the Pharisees, are mentioned in verse 31. They want him out of Galilee, not to preserve his life from Herod's threats, but to get him into Judea where they have the influence and the political clout to pressure Rome to crucify him. It's a ploy. Satan has always had the idea that killing God's servants is the way to kill Christianity. He stirs up the hatred of the world. Hatred is the root sin of murder. So that they will attack the people of God. And it is as Jesus taught his disciples, no servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. 
John 15, verse 20. There's a scripture that says they even think they do God's service, right? By killing us, killing the believers. Okay, then, <laughs> all that being true, why does Jesus go to Jerusalem when he knows what's waiting for him there? That's like asking Paul why he went to Jerusalem. When on two separate occasions, prophets warned him that arrests and imprisonment awaited him there. Acts 21, verse 10. What's with these guys? Well, Jesus answers for himself, and I suspect it is Paul's answer as well. John 15, verse 22. If I had not come and spoken to them... They would not be guilty of sins. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father as well. And if I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen these miracles, also referenced in our text, verse 32. And yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in the law. They hated me without reason. No reason for it. But they did it anyway. May I say this is the story of the tenant farmers lived out in Jesus' life. I'm referring to the parable in Matthew 21 verse 33 and following which Jesus told. A landowner purchased a farm and he planted a vineyard and he built a wine press and he walled the whole place in and he built a watchtower for protection and then he rented the business out to tenants. But when he sent his servants to collect his share of the profits, we read, the tenants seized his servants, they beat one, they killed another, they stoned a third. Matthew 21 verse 35. So, the landowner sent out another delegation, even larger than the first delegation, and these servants were treated no better. Finally, he sent his son, and this is the way he reasoned, it's in the text, they will respect my son. They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, Ooh, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and they threw him out of the vineyard and they killed him. Verse 39. Well, why did Jesus tell this story? Well, God was that landowner, and Israel was the tenant farmers. The servants were the prophets, and the son was Jesus Christ. And so Jesus says, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruits. He who falls on this stone will be broken in pieces, 
but on whom it falls, they will be crushed. Matthew 21, verse 42 and 43. Now compare that with what Jesus says in our texts about going to Jerusalem as God's prophet. Yea, as his son, only to be rejected, only to be killed. Verse 35, look, your house is left desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. By going to Jerusalem, Jesus went to fulfill the will of the Father, which was to preach the gospel, to perform mighty miracles, And thus take away any excuse the people might have for continuing in their sin. And they killed him like they killed the prophets before him. They killed him like the tenants killed the servants in the parable and eventually the landowner's son. But in that killing, God's son would crush them the evil one who inspired them. Their house would be left desolate. Judgment would be meted out. And judgment would be satisfied. Verse 32 of our text says, On the third day I will reach my goal. What do you suppose that refers to? Well, it refers to resurrection. And it is resurrection that would turn the death of the Son into victory. And Jesus affirms in our text that his murderers will say to him, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The murderers will say that. The emissary of God, God's best prophet and only Son, will eventually be recognized and honored and worshiped for who and what he is. Even so, come Lord Jesus. That ought to be our prayer. Come Lord Jesus. Now what do we learn from all this? Well, whatever heartache, pain, or suffering God allows his people to endure, let us learn that he does not call us to do anything more than he himself has endured. And in our suffering, we wear the badge that we belong to Christ. Say, well, I don't want to wear that badge. Well, (laughs) maybe you don't want to wear the badge. Maybe I don't want to wear the badge. But it's part of being a disciple of Christ. God has sent his prophets into a hostile world. And in the sending, he has mapped out their lives before them so that they know what to expect. For example, Jesus said to his disciples, Blessed are you when people insult you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice, be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Matthew 5, verse 11 and 12. Wow. You know, I never much thought of myself as one who walked in the shoes of Jeremiah, whose countrymen threw him into a pit, you'll remember, and left him there to die. 
I never saw myself on a plane with Elijah, whom Jezebel tried to kill, running for his life. I never saw myself as John the Baptist, who lost his head to Herod's sword of execution. I don't think you've seen your life in that you either, but it's all very true. The color Jesus paints for us is blood red. And if we do not pick up our cross and follow him and his cross, being crucified with Jesus, willing to live for him and equally willing to die for him, we cannot be his disciple. He says so. Why? Because the servant is not above his master. The world hated and killed Christ. It will hate and kill us, his messengers, if they get a chance to. But we are told to be glad and we're told to be rejoicing because we walk in the company of the holy prophets of God and more importantly in the company of the prophet, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The suffering we are called to endure is, Jesus said, because of me. Because of me. Which can only mean that the world identifies us to be the true disciples of Christ. Otherwise they'd leave us alone. They make an assessment that we're not of them as well as not with them in their activities of evil. They see our colors and they take note that we have been with Jesus. May I say that any suffering we bear because of the name of Christ is noted by God as a blessing. Peter puts it this way. It is commendable. Wow. It is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. If you suffer for doing good, I'm reading scripture, and you endure it, this is commendable to God. To this you were called. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. 1 Peter 2, verse 19 and following. The point I am making here is that Jesus sends us into the world knowing full well what will come our way by the unbelieving pagans. Servant is not above his master. They hated him. The world will hate us because of him. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 10, verse 16. He said to his disciples, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Oh, that's not very good. Because you know who's going to win that battle. But in the same passage, he says, if they called 
the head of the house, Beelzebub, that's one of the names for Satan, if they called the head Satan, how much more the members of the household? You and me. So do not be afraid of them. There's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Verse 25 and following of Matthew 10. You know, this tells me that we are told up front by Christ what we're in for. Persecution, that's what we're in for. And the persecution is designed to kill the messengers or to at least silence them. But we're to wear the persecution like the badge of Christ that it is and not deny him before men. Stay true to your calling, brethren. It is the calling Christ heard from his father and fulfilled in Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets. Verse 34. But then, too, the city responsible for killing Christ will be the city of his coming reign and rule. A seeming defeat will become a victorious triumph. Talk about something that is just mind-boggling when you think about it. Jerusalem lived up to its notorious and bloody reputation. The Jerusalemites killed the king of glory, the only Messiah the world will ever see. But in a sense, we're all guilty of such murder as this. The cross of Jesus was deliberately borne by him for all of us sinners who have broken and continue to break God's laws. Peter put it this way. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that he might die to sins. So, excuse me, that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. First Peter 2 verse 24. That's what made Jesus go to Jerusalem. His mission was to die for his people's sins. No death, no forgiveness. No forgiveness, no eternal life in glory. But that's not the end of the story. The city responsible for the murder of Jesus will be the city of his glorious comeback. In the text that we read in Zechariah 2, it depicts a man being sent with a measuring tape to measure the length and the breadth of Jerusalem. But an angel intervenes saying, Run, tell that young man Jerusalem will be a city without walls. 
because of the great number of men and livestock in it. And I myself will be a wall of fire around it, declares the Lord. I will be its glory within. Zechariah 2, verse 5 and following. How is it that Jerusalem, which has been a walled city most of its existence, has no walls? Uh, President Trump's in a battle right now to get walls built, right? on the southern border of the United States as a means of protection and territorial conservative. Walls are important for defense. They're important for security of the inhabitants. How is it that Jerusalem, which has been a walled city historically, will eventually be no walled city. Well, that's because Christ will be its defense and security and its light within. Who are all these people that are the called out ones from the land of the north, from the four corners of the earth, verse 6? Well, they are those that had been held captive in Babylon scriptures say and after this host is gathered to himself the lord promises retribution on those who have touched he calls the apple of his eye by turning their own servants against them what's to be our response we're talking about christ being victorious here. And so Zechariah writes, Shout and be glad, O daughter of Zion, for I am coming, and I will live among you, declares the Lord. Many nations will be joined with the Lord in that day and will become my people. I will, have among, I will live among you, and you will know that the Almighty has sent me to you. The Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem. Be still before the Lord, all mankind, because he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. Zechariah 2, verse 10 and following. Be still before the Lord. Are you still calm before the Lord, content with his care? I think we do live in a scary world. I'm not denying that. It's almost every day that we are a little reluctant to turn on the TV news to find out what happened overnight while we were sleeping. Because we're pretty well assured that it's not going to be good. Yet Psalm 17 verse 8 says, 
The psalmist says, keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who assail me. And I, in righteousness, I will see your face. And when I awake, I will be satisfied with seeing your likeness. That's Psalm 17, verse 8 and following. In Psalm 91, says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings. This is all symbolism, of course. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. If you make the Most High your dwelling, then no harm will befall you. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him, I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Because he loves me. Wow. Do you love the Lord today? I'm telling you, God is taking note of that. Have you taken refuge under the shadow? Of his wings. He longs to have it so with you, just as he expressed in our text, verse 34 and following. But when you come to Christ, you cannot bring your sin along with you, not to this holy dwelling. Uh-uh. You must leave all of that outside Jerusalem of old on a, ki- on a hill that's called the skull. where all our sin was nailed to a tree in the person of a bloody sacrifice. Jesus, the payment for sinners slain. If you will take up Jesus' cross, if you will follow him to Golgotha, the place of the skull, if you will be crucified with him, letting go of your sin, renouncing it for good, he promises to invite you into Zion, where he ascends his throne to rule and to reign. Jerusalem. Think about this. Not just, I'm not thinking physical now. I'm thinking of the heavenly Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the victory place to which all of us want to go. But none but those in Christ will have it so. Jesus and his power and his forgiveness is just a prayer way. Say, well, I want to have it my way. Well, if you have it your way, you're not going to go to glory. You're going to go to hell. And you'll you'll get your way, all right. The people in hell might want to say, hey, I didn't bargain for this. But, you know, they did bargain for that. They chose that. They wanted that. Let's see. Holiness versus degradation, sexuality, thievery, Lies, deceit, hatred, murder, anger, 
holiness versus that, they chose that. The writer of Hebrews says, without holiness, no one's going to see the Lord. Say, then I'm doomed. Yes, you are, and so am I, unless we come to Christ, whose holiness is the robe that covers us, allows us to walk with Christ through the gates of glory. I pray that you'll strike out all of those desires to appease the flesh and choose life. Choose life. Father, thank you for your word. It's hard because it says that we can't have our cake and eat it too. We cannot have our sin and salvation too. We want it. We think we have a right to that, but we have no rights before you. We are bankrupt. We cannot demand anything. We can only plead your mercy, and we do plead your mercy. But you will only grant mercy to those who are willing to repent of their sin. That is, give it up. Renounce it and claim the work of Christ. I pray, Lord, that if there are any here who are outside of Christ this morning, that they'll give it up, give up the sin, come to Christ. Ask for his forgiveness and cleansing. Lord, if you will do that work in our hearts, if you will send your spirit to quicken us in those areas and bring life to us so that we can choose what's righteous, we will be eternally indebted to you. And we who know you, thank you. We remember, we reflect, we are recalling your great mercy. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn is from the hymnal, number 555. 555 in the hymnal. Stand together as we sing.
I like verse 3, which says, The hill of Zion yields a thousand sacred sweets before we reach the heavenly fields. Before we reach the heavenly fields or walk the golden streets. What the hymn writer is saying is, The sweets, the, the joys, the nice things that taste and excite our palate start right here. They start right here. Yeah, they don't compare with the glories that are coming. But life for us is sweet because of knowing Christ. And there's joys right now that we experience for knowing and living for Christ. That the world knows. They know nothing about. Just watch the news. Well, when you see the news, you'll see that the world is in turmoil and pain and suffering. It's all around. When we suffer, there's at least a joy that goes with it. Enduring the sufferings of Christ for the gospel's sake. So I think the hymn writer has it right. And we should rejoice in that. Right now, we experience the joy of being a Christian. Well, tonight at 6 o'clock is our um, meeting downstairs, and we're going to work on a video that the Stiffs are loaning to us uh, that deal with evangelism as it's found in America. It's going to be an eye-opener to some of you. And names are named, and people are called out, and say, well, I don't know about that. Well, we need to know the enemy. Let me tell you. And they're everywhere. They're everywhere. Choir at five. See you then.